Beruchim Abayim Hashem, Hashem Beruch Nuchem, Beis Hashem, welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir, Wednesday shir. Yudim Nishmas, Ruzim Basra, Chana, Ezra. I sincerely hope my voice can hold out throughout the shir. Siyata Deshmaya. The Shabbos Pasha Shalach, Shalach Lecha. Every Pasha is given a name, usually based on the beginning of the Pasha. Um, ultimately, the theme of the Pasha. Sometimes, though, we have Pashas that um, don't necessarily, according to the first look, the Mabat, looking at the name of the Pasha, looking at the Pasha itself, we don't see the connection between the two. But Teda's Hero, Teda's lesson, teaching lessons and life lessons, and therefore one applies themselves, one goes and looks into the deeper, one will find the connection between the name and the rest of the Pasha as well. The Pasha Shalach, as we know, talks about the sending of the spies to Israel. Prior to entering Eretz Yisrael, the Eden wanted to be comfortable. They wanted to therefore have the conventional way of entering a, a land, of conquering a land. And that would be first to send in spies to see what the land is all about. So the passage itself is known as Shlach, sent. But on a general basis, in most in many many places, when it's referred to, the pasuk is referred to as shlachacha, sent to you, sent because of you. And as Rashi teaches in the beginning of the pasuk, shlachacha, lacha meaning midaytacha, according to your opinion. Chazal explain. Maybe he can score at home as he might have said there. Lamed Dalet, the beginning of Lamed Beis. And Chazal explained that the idea of sending Maraglim was the, Jew, the Jews. The Jews came to Mesha and said to Mesha, listen, we got to go in there. Let's know what we're going in again. What we're up against. Let's know, not really, but what we're getting. And Moshe asked HaKadosh Baruch What should I do? And HaKadosh Baruch answers You want to send? Send. I'm not telling you to send. Moshe had no doubt how beautiful the land was. Moshe had no doubts as to what the land was all about. <coughs> Nor did Moshe have any doubt that Akash Baruch would give the land to the Eden with no questions, no problems. His intention was just to know what direction to enter to go to conquer. 
And this we see in the passage it says, Nishlech HaNashem Lefanenu, Yeshiva Yisrael Nedovar. Es HaDerech HaShena Lebo, Veseorem HaShenove Aleihem. Send in people before us, just to know which way to enter, and which way to be easiest to work with, and which way to be easiest to conquer, etc. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu guaranteed its result to the, to the Jews. He promised us, this is the promised land, this is the land that belongs to us, and it's going to get to us. But according to Teda, we know, and if you keep your score at home, you might have psachim, samach, dalar, amad, beis, one does not rely on miracles. One needs to go according to the normal channels. And one needs to apply themselves the way they should. Therefore, <coughs> Major thought that it's correct. <coughs> the right way would go. Logic dictates, as we would say, to do the conventional way, sending in spies, and then the spies will then tell us what, when, and where we go in. But, although it made sense to him, he asked Akadosh Baruch Hu. He asked Akadosh Baruch Hu. The question begs to ask. One needs to go according to nature. One needs to behave according to the natural way of the world. One needs to be able to translate a koponim or interpret or, or grasp in their mind's eye that what's happening is the natural way of things. One knows that they look after themselves um, physically. They take care of themselves. They eat, they drink, and they sleep properly. They should be healthy. Whether they're taking pink salt and lemon, or whether they're taking whatever they're taking, or whether they're just drinking vodka all day. If they're doing what's supposed to be done, what they think is supposed to be done, and they're supposed to be doing it right, that's the healthy way. Mashenkin, someone who's reckless, doesn't eat properly, and doesn't sleep properly, and doesn't look after themselves, and doesn't hydrate themselves, and doesn't see to themse- look after themselves, um, physical appearance, etc., etc., they totally neglect that negligence obviously is going to pay its pay pay a price, pay a toll. Therefore, according to the natural world order, one needs to do what's best physically for the body. Although, one needs to also remember they're not in control. It's a sort of a bucher that had a horrible temper. Everything he lost his temper over. The most minute things. 
And he came to the Rosh Hashiv, to the Mashgiach, and he asked the Mashgiach, Shiva, the Mashpia, whatever, how do I get a hold of this? How do I handle this? So he told him, Emshel Hamashal, I'll give you an example. There was once a ship set to sail. It set to sail, and on the ship, disguised as regular passengers, was a group of robbers who planned on hijacking the ship. I guess if it's robbing a ship at sea, it would be called a pirate, but okay, that's technically called an. Um, they boarded the ship like everybody else, all the passengers, and they scouted out the ship to see what, when, and where, and when. And one day they came to the captain's cabin, and they heard a heated argument going ongoing. The argument was between the sh- captain and the crew, and amongst the crew themselves. The ship had been sailing for two days. And there was an island not far off. Not their destination, but an island nonetheless. And some of the some of the crew wanted to get off the ship a little bit. To stretch their feet or whatever. And they said, let's pull over for, for, for a few hours. And the other few... <coughs> screaming and yelling, no way I'm not, det- not going off the track I don't want to go off the track, I want to go home I want to reach my destination, go home and it turned into a heated argument screaming and yelling the thieves felt this is an opportune moment they burst into the cabin and they tied everybody up they tied everybody up they said, now we're going where we want to go, with what we want. So the Meshgiach uh, asked the boy, tell me something. The sailors had a very heated argument, whether to go home or to stop. It was a heated argument. They were really angry at one another, practically, border, borderline angry. <coughs> now that they were tied up, you think they were still angry at each other? This is probably not. Because they were sitting there ha- helplessly. They could, what are they going to be angry about? Go home or not go home? They, they wish they'd come home alive. Huh. So let me interpret to you, says the Meshgiach, the Rosh Hashir, And he says to him, When they were tied up, they found out they have no control of the ship. They're not telling the ship when to go, when to stop, when to pull over, when to rest. They found out that they have no control at all over here and they have to listen to somebody else now. And they have to pray to God that they even get out of this alive. Never mind when they want where they want. So therefore, they, since they came to that realization, there was nothing to argue about. The argument was mute. Because they no longer had the choice in the matter. So, of course, they're not going to be angry at each other. My entire kid, he says, you don't run the world. 
when something happens, someone does something, someone says something to you, it's not in your control. It's not your choice of the matter to make an opinion, a decision, how the person should talk, how the person should act, how the person should say, what the person should say, etc., etc. It's all run by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore you need to have Siyat Dishmaya. And with Siyat Dishmaya you have to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the ship. It's not your opinion, it's not your decision. You have no opinion in the matter. So when something happens, it's not you. It's not to you, it's not for you, it's not from you. It's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If it's all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what are you getting angry? What are you getting? What are you mixing in? So we do understand. We need to understand that everything works according to the world order. So still here now we have this question: If this is how they were supposed to do it, and they had the sense spies to be the natural world order. Why did Nakash Baruch tell them to? Why did Nakash Baruch tell Mesha, send spies first? We're going into the land now. Why do you leave it to Mesha's opinion, the decision? And Mesha says, we're going to do it. This is the Daitacha. Let's be realistic. <coughs> we know from Avram Vino as well. Everything Avraham Avinu did <coughs> was what Akash Baruch wanted. Avraham Avinu didn't do anything, didn't move a, a, a foot, a limb, a finger, lift a finger. If it was not the Ratzon of Akash Baruch, not what Akash Baruch wanted. So much the same with Moshe. Meisha Eved Hashem one upped Avraham Avinu in that he went to the Maila. Truth is that the decree that the Kadesh Baruch would not come onto the world and the world would not go up into heaven Kadesh Baruch comes to visit Avraham Avinu several times. So that decree of HaKadosh Baruch coming out to this world, we saw, did happen, in essence. Not like the revelation in Harsinai, obviously, where every person saw it. But Avraham Avinu didn't go up to heaven to speak to HaKadosh Baruch And therefore, Mesha, who did go to heaven, and did talk to HaKadosh Baruch thrice, 40 days and 40 nights, obviously was not just the regular CEO of a company. He was not just head of state. He was not just the president, the prime minister, the king, the prophet. He was everything in all in one parcel. And yet, he achieved the highest level of spirituality any human being could, could possibly achieve. 
still in all, we see HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Meishu Rabbeinu Ledaitacha. Up to you. But if this is what the intention of HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, why blame it on Meishu? Simple way of explaining it, because it's a natural world order, as we say, And in order to go in to conquer a land, one needs to plan what is to do it naturally. The most practical way of doing it. HaKadosh Baruch did not have to go and plan and map it out word for word. Not only HaKadosh Baruch didn't have to tell him, yes, send spies. people had to understand, had to think to themselves, what's the best way to fulfill HaKadosh Baruch commandment in the most beautiful way, and the most fulfilling way. And therefore in this episode, in this era, epica, in this era, Pasha Semenaglim We need to take a perpetual lesson, a life lesson. Who are these people that are going, that are being told they're going into Israel? Who were these people? They were not a mundane nation that just happened to be walking around in the desert. This was a nation that was taken out of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, Egypt, as it was known, as it is known, was the most powerful country, had the most powerful sorcerers. No, no slave ever, ever escaped Egypt. Besides all the magic or black magic, whatever you want to call it, that kept people in, that closed the borders. There were also fierce, ferocious dogs that also by the borders and people shall leave were chased back in by the dogs. So no slave ever left Egypt. Here, not one, not two, not five, an entire nation, 600,000 strong, marched out of Egypt. This nation traveled and got stuck by the Red Sea, or thought they were, by the Reed Sea. And there, once again, seeing the situation being hopeless, because the water in front of them, the desert for the two sides, and even the angel of Mitzrayim coming down upon them, and the Egyptians chasing them from behind, they saw again a hopeless situation. They thought for sure they're being captured and brought back to Egypt, and the servitude would become even worse. And all the thoughts that went through their heads. But yet they experienced the Egyptians were powerless against them. 
they crossed the Yamsuf miraculously, the water split for them. And then they witnessed all these Egyptians that they were f- so fearful of drowned. And then along came this nation called Amalek, and Amalek attacked them and they destroyed them as well. Then they traveled 49 days and came to a mountain. On that mountain they were shown the greatest revelations. The greatest. They saw God Himself and they heard God's voice. They're obviously not some run-of-the-mill Joe on the street. This is quite a group of people now who've experienced and seen the hand of God and heard the voice of God and seen God Himself. And now they were told they're going to conquer Eretz Canaan. And until this time, they, in this interim as well, they also experienced the Mun and they experienced the Slav and they experienced all the other things that they were given, the miracles. And the clouds that were protecting them. The fact that they were told now they have to go in and enter the land and conquer the land of Israel. At that time, and mentioned in the Teda, this is a perpetual command. A command for us as well. Each and every Jew, in each and every generation. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells you to conquer the land, the physicalities of the world, and to set them up and to establish them to serve spirituality and serve God. Mm-hmm. One could think that they needed to have a command each time, each and every little thing, each and every nuance, everything that we have to do. I have to hear a direct command that I have to do this. Awaiting for the Meshavet of the generation to tell them exactly where to go and how to do it. What to say? Teaches us to tell a person needs to think and involve themselves within themselves. Everyone needs to take in their surroundings. To see this, their own capabilities, their own capacity. And whatever it is that stands, any hurdle that stands in front of them, they can overcome. And to decide on their own what is the good way to fulfill HaKadosh Baruch Ratzin and to conquer the world and to bring within the reign of Kiddusha, of spirituality and holiness. And therefore we need to remember this message from the story of the Miraglum. When one is sent on a mission, as we all are on a daily basis, and we all face many different things, many controversial issues, 
many, some of us, go through painful stories, some of us go through less painful, some of us can't exactly always remember which side of the stick they're being given, sometimes they feel that things are great and wonderful, and sometimes they feel that the world is collapsing around them, sometimes they just feel no control whatsoever of anything they can do or say, and they just simply hurt, and some just clean simply are always happy. When you're given this me- this shlichus, when you're given this mission, one needs to know the f- source of the mission. The mistake of the Meraglim, they decided. that everything was too hard. And in this they sent. That's not what you were sent for. You were not sent to look for hardships. This fact, that this mission that's imposed upon each and every Jew, one may not twist their nose turn their heads, turn themselves inside out to figure out what, when, and where. Everything needs to fit into the mission and be accomplished via the mission which is to serve HaKadosh Baruch. And therefore everyone needs to conquer their seichel, their understanding, and find within themselves the best way to serve HaKadosh Baruch Now, on a practical note, we had the question, the world, everlasting question, one that never really can get answered properly. Anoshim. The spies that Meshav Bein sent, the Tera says about them that they were Anoshim. Anoshim meaning that they were holy people. They were men known of a status, status people. Heads of states. They were not slouches. And yet they came back with such a horrific report and literally told the Jews, you cannot go. You cannot make it in there. There's no way. The people there are, are monsters. We look like grasshoppers to them. What happened? What were they thinking? Where were they coming from? You righteous man that you are, or were, all of a sudden, you're talking bad on your, about a mission that you were sent to only talk good? You're turning, causing such havoc and turmoil amongst the Jewish nation that nobody knows what to do now and everybody's starting to cry and to scream and to yell? Who are you? 
What happened to you? What became of you? What happened to you that you don't understand that we need to enter the Holy Land? That's the ultimate mission, the ultimate goal. What became of you? Did they become wicked overnight? They become people that sinners overnight? We can't possibly say that. Actually, question gets even stronger. We all know that when we go somewhere, we want to dive in somewhere special. We go to a holy spot, a holy place, either the cave of a tzaddik, which if you go to Israel, to the Holy Land, there's no lack, unfortunately, of quorum, of graves, where to, by which to pray. And each one has its own schoolers, and people say that if you go here, you get this, if you go here, you get down for this. And then there's, of course, the case of Amaravi. which is translated as the Wailing Wall rather than the Northern Wall the Western Wall, I'm sorry simply because obviously the amount of wailing that goes on there the amount of davening and tefillas that people cry that's a simple explanation for it. But we all know this is right next to the Holy of Holies. It's as close as we can get. And it's a holy place to pray. One goes to its soul, whether it be birthright or any other program or any other reason, just a tour. One feels the spirituality of the land. People talking Lashon the Hebrew. The amount of kosher food that's accessible. Generally, it's a very spiritual and uplifting experience. Different places, <coughs> different strokes for different folks, as we say in America. Different places that people would go to, to get different type of inspirations. Whether you go to Davra Melech and you say Tehillim, with the composer himself. Whether you go to the Kaisal, whether you go to Shmuel Anavi, whether you go to Tzvas, whether you go to wherever it might be. to Miron you know you went to Davin when you board the plane leaving the land you feel you've taken with you a certain spirituality that you didn't have before <coughs> therefore obviously it's hard 
It's a hardship to leave. And you find many people actually crying as they're leaving the Holy Land. They're not leaving any relatives behind necessarily. Not anybody. They might have met a friend or two. They might have made a friend or two. But really, what are they doing? They feel that they are departing from a place that they belong. So, in essence, it's a question here, what happened to these miraglim? What were they thinking? What were they doing? What was going on through their minds? They just spent quality time in a holy place. They should have been spiritually uplifted even above beyond what they had before. What was going on with them now? That they suddenly took this terrible drop and spoke bad of the land. A Jew has a neshama tehira, a pure, holy soul. Some have holier, loftier, special neshamas. And although they don't necessarily find themselves being spiritual people, per se, put the word spiritual in air quotes there are times all of a sudden an inkling or a general behavioral situation and they will do something or say something for somebody that would really be super special Why? Where does it come from? Who are they? We don't know. We don't know what our Neshama status is, where it came from. We know the source is all from Mechedek, all from God Himself. How it applies, how we need to apply it, is obviously something that... um, we need to understand. And then there are times where you see people, seemingly mundane people, and yet they do things that are so extraordinary, so special, helping others, caring for others, feeling another's pain, always trying to see to it, to alleviate the person's pain, and sometimes downright going out and accepting it to them on the part of themselves. And being tortured within themselves because of somebody else that's going through something. 
Why? You have other people that don't care what goes on. They can walk by a car accident, a pile up of 40 people standing on the street with men, women and children just drive right past. Not even think about stopping, helping. And yet, you have the person that sees somebody, the homeless person on the street, or the boy or the girl or the man or the woman that are totally, totally hopeless and neglected of their own lives and yet this person reaches out to them this person finds compassion for them this person finds purpose in these people's lives and tries to give it and tries to apply it These are special people, special neshamas. When one recognizes Ruchnius, obviously, they are at a spiritual level that not everybody reaches. Not everybody reaches, not everybody achieves. When a person is raised in pure spirituality, from the mother's womb, all the different intentions and preparations and whatever had to be done to keep this pure, pure neshama, and the child comes into the world and everything is done for this child to keep it totally spiritually holy. To set, as this, there were Tanayim that was sat with their, their parents, the mothers took them to the Besmedish, the infants, and let them just hear the words of Teda, hear the words of people studying, hear the words of Tefillah, listen to the words of Amin, Amin, Yehishmei Rabba. And they ultimately were totally saturated with spirituality. These people, these neshamas, find not just solace. They find this inner, deeper connection with spirituality. And therefore, in their own way, no matter what their circumstance, predicament, or situation, or what environment they find themselves and grow up in, they find the mitzvah that they want to dedicate, devote, and fulfill. Whether it be davening mairev, whether it be saying tehillim, or, or just helping another person. They go and they apply themselves to that little mission that they have, they feel is their mission, their life mission and they go full steam ahead with that because they connect to that imagine 
living in the desert. Not now. The year 2448-49-50. You didn't have to change your clothing because the clouds washed the clothing on you. If your size changed, you grew. You didn't gain weight, obviously, you were eating mun. <laughs> Unless you always thought your mun tastes like cake, then maybe, yeah. Um, your garments washed and grew on you. The clouds protected you from every element, physical and spiritual. You drank water from the miraculous Bear Miriam. They just followed with you. There is no distractions. There is nothing tainting my mind or deviating from doing and learning and devoting myself to God. Men, women, and children. Everybody was able to totally, totally connect to God in the highest level. And the Miraglim were the same. However, they entered a land and they saw there are fields and there are crops and there are things, the things that we have to now do, financial security. I won't be able to just sit and learn Teda. I won't be able to just sit 24-7 and bask in spirituality. Excuse me, with learning and davening. I'm going to have to go out and make a parnasa. I'm going to have to go out and till my fields. I'll have to go out and make my business work. I'll have to go out and do... I'll have to take time away from my studies of Teda my devotions to God how how can I be sure that I will be able to do everything Lishma for the name the namesake of God and for the right intentions and eat my food with the right intentions and make the food properly kosher the man had, had a great heksha on it. The best heksha the man had. Even the slav. The water was filtered. They, were, they had it all. And now you're telling me you go into a land and literally downsize my spirituality and my connection to God they couldn't see it they couldn't see it they couldn't relate to that they couldn't connect to that this is not possibly the way that God wants us to be and therefore they looked to deter the Jews from going into the land although they felt all the spirituality and came back with a tremendous Kedusha they still felt they think perhaps were downsizing from what they were having in the desert in the Midbar pure, pure spirituality 
and they did not want to enter into the trials and tribulations of the worldly wor- of the world world order. So it was not totally insane what they were doing in that case. They had a pretty solid reasoning. But this is not what you were sent for, my friends. You were sent simply tell us that we can go in. You were simply told don't overthink yourself. Don't say, I won't be able to make sure that everything, every morsel I eat, I have proper intention that I'm serving Hashem with it. I won't be able to work on a daily basis and remember all the time, Shavisi Hashem and Agdi Summit, how God is standing there before me and I'm doing this only because I have to have Panasa so that I can be healthy, so that I can be happy, so that I can support my family, so we can learn Tata and do mitzvahs. That is the ultimate goal. That is the Dira B'Takhtenu. When Maisha sends in the spies to Yisrael, he calls over one of the spies, Hoshea bin Nun, and he changes his name to Yehoshua. Adding a hey to his name, the name of God, and he davened, Koyish Yachem Etzas May God save you from the thoughts and from the plans of the spies. In other words, in in retrospect, Moshe knew they were setting up for failure. Moshe knew these guys are not going to have the right intentions. But while he, while he sent, whilst he sent them, he knew they were all kshedim, they were all special holy Jews. And that's why, as we said before, the Torah refers to them as Anoshim. And Rashi explains to the Bechamish Namikra why were they called Anoshim? Because at that time they were still very holy, they were very kosher, kosher people, as we call them. So, what, as we said before, turned them? to say we cannot go up because they're stronger than us. Elamai, Moshe doesn't tell the Eden, doesn't tell these people Go leragel esaretz, spy out the land. He tells them lasur esaretz, tour the land. The difference in the two, obviously, a spy is asked to apply his intelligence and to know how and what has to be done. 
Whereas the tourist goes to look for the most beautiful things. Looks for the big, the best pictures they could take. They'll come back with the most beautiful form of the Kinneret. They'll come back with even the Yamamelech looking beautiful. I don't know if they can come back making Tel Aviv look beautiful, but <laughs> the Holy Land is the Holy Land. They were told just to go look and have a tour, enjoy it. Just come back and tell us what's there. Don't make them into miraglim, into spies. Don't apply your intelligence to show how and what, when it could happen and to go down from one level to the next. When these 12 people got together to go out on the road, to embark on their mission, Moshe felt something was wrong. Something became amiss and they became Miraglim spies. And the way they were talking and the way they were approaching. And Moshe therefore was very, very concerned. And he davened for his prize student, his Talmud Muvik Yeshua. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved him from the thoughts, the ideas of the Miraglim. But that moment they were still holy. They had no intention of sinning. They had no intention of turning the nation against going into its soul. To use this conniving wording and fashion. Even more so. The Meish Rabbeinu, his Midas, are always Midas Amas. Keep in score home, you can and head in from the bottom of Amad Beis, Amad Aleph. The Amas and Meish. Say, just tell us that what is truth? Meish is truth. In order to be an emissary of Meish, which we know is Shluchah Shalom Kamaisa, the emissary is like the person himself. The messenger, the emissary, needs to not deviate from one iota from the message, from this, the person that's sending him. As soon as the Meraglim started to turn a little bit and decided to go from Tayorim to Meraglim, from tourists to spies, they lost the connection with their Mishaleach, with the one that sent them. Yeshua and Kalev, on the other hand, didn't fall into these plans. They remained messengers of Mesha. And therefore maintained the attribute of Emes, of truth, that was applied to them. And they come back and say, Teva Oretz Ma'id Ma'id. The land is beautiful, and therefore they merited to go into the land and take their parts. 
of the Meraglim in the land and to stand to put this up in their stead in the holiest of ways. When they come back to report, and we know that the story, we know that what's dictated in the Torah, how the Meraglim caused havoc amongst the Jews. As we said, Yeshua and Kalev were different. Yeshua was saved, as we said, from Meshach ben adding Kam Yishiachem Atzas Meraglim. Kalev, on the other hand, was self-made. He didn't need Meshach's he needed it as well, but he didn't apply Meshach's tefillahs. He didn't get the special bracha from Meshach Rabbeinu, and yet he overcame as well, just like Yeshua did. How? It says that Kalev came into Hetzel, he ran to Hebron, to the cave of Ovis, the gravesite of our forefathers. And he was Mishtateach there, and he bowed, and he pulled himself together, there. he threw himself down on the ground there, and he davened his forefathers, our forefathers should stand in his stead, excuse me, and not allow him to, God forbid, fall into the trappings and the blasphemy of the other ten. And therefore we find when they came back, a blaring, a glaring difference between Yeshua and Kalev. Whereas the Meraglim caused havoc, Yeshua and Kalev tried to tell everybody, no, 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 it's beautiful. But as they tried to speak, the Jews were ready to stone them. We hear from these people, why are you coming and trying to tell us and trying to make us dress a cup, like we say in America. But Kalev stood up and said, Shah! Vayas Kalev is home, everybody became quiet. How did he do it? He said, and you know what else Meshe Rabbeinu did? Unfortunately, the Jews were so, so, so fatumult. They were in a level they thought they were going to hear more Lashon Har about Meish Rabbeinu Chasham. So they became quiet to hear what Kalim has to say. They found out that he was going to tell them about the Slav and about the Mon and about the water. But Kalim is the one that made him very quiet. And therefore calming everybody down, they don't need to be feared. And when Kalev spoke, it wasn't enough just to say and to add a Muna that's higher than Seichel. He told them that's another level yet. Let us go up. Let us go up and conquer. He was going home and say to Lamedhem and Aleph, where he tells them, said, let's go. You're going up to heaven, we would succeed in doing that as well. 
There is nothing that Moshe tells us to do that's, uh, that's not doable. Have I just said we go into that so we go into that so what's wrong with you people? So how is it that Kale was able to do this and Meshua and Yeshua not? Yeshua came with the powers of above, down below. Mesha giving to him with Mesha's Tfilas and Brachas. Kalev went from below above. And Kalev went to the cave of us and worked on his own self and made himself what he was and brought about the Brachas upon himself. And therefore, obviously, this has a much stronger connotation to it. The how the light of God, spirituality, comes down into the world. Depending on the Aveda, the Aveda of the person, how he applies himself. And therefore Yeshua could not convince the nation and could not talk to the nation, could not calm the nation because his Kedusha came from above. It wasn't something that was self-made from within himself whereas Kalev was a self-made man. He saved himself because of his Tfilis. And therefore his Kedusha, his holiness was recognizable by people because they recognize the self-madeness. So the end picture, this purification done by Ekalev was that one much higher. And therefore his amuna of Ali Nala Virashnu Isa, come let's go up. Even to tell him to do things that would be unnatural, go up to heaven even. Only a person like Kali was able to dictate. And this level we reach, we achieve, when we purify and we elevate everything around us in the world. And then we reach to this level where we can overcome the most hardships and we continue in the service to do what the world is commanded to and we make our Eretz Yisrael, our own personal Eretz Yisrael, and we, until we merit to what it says, Asida Eretz Yisrael Shin Ispashit Bechola Harotzeis, Eretz Yisrael will spread throughout the world, the entire world will be Eretz Yisrael, with Bias Mashiach Tzidkenu Mhedev Yameinu Mamet, Shabbos, Good Shabbos to all.